Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In our, our year's theme of life is a church, we've started talking about the life church investment. And uh, last week, we finished up the first half of this message uh, on how you can invest in your church. And the reason, it, I, I told the Bible study, uh, the Wednesday night Bible study a couple weeks ago, I had actually had that a different way. I had had the church investing in you first and then you investing in the church. And I think I said this last week as well, but as I was sitting down, it was just a couple days before Sunday to preach. It's like the Lord just kind of switched that over and said, first, we need to move. We need to move and we need to invest in the church before that is activated. And we talked about last week with giving financially, how uh, you can't expect God's blessings on your finances if you're not willing to support his kingdom work. So now that brings us to the place of how the church can invest back in you. And I'll be real honest, there's some real pointed points in this message. And it's the kind of thing where if you've ever developed a, a plan or you've been a, a supervisor at work and you've had to have a meeting that um, is an important meeting and you're gonna say some things in that meeting that people need to hear, but they're not really popular and you know they're gonna be uh, a little bit difficult to say. Well, that's what getting this message was together was like. Like, wow, some of this is not gonna be popular, but it has to be said. So um, I challenge you to listen to the whole thing and listen to the message and really take it to heart because it's, I don't, I never preach with animosity in my heart or anger. And I never, I know a lot of pastors that watch their congregation and they preach according to what they see. And they prepare sermons based on what is going on in the congregation at times. I don't do that. I, I truly believe that God has a plan for what I preach and for where he wants this church to go. And if it seems like I'm preaching at you at times, it's not because I don't, listen, I've got enough trouble taking care, watching over myself and my wife and my two boys. Um, I don't have time to watch your life, <laughs> okay? So if it happens to speak to you, then blame it on the Holy Spirit and take it up with him, <laughs> all right? Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17 say, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's a powerful verse when we talk about, when we see what the Bible is supposed to be in our lives. It's the inspired word of God. That is the very, I believe, that is the number one point of doctrine that you need to accept in your life before you can ever grow, before you can ever become who God has intended you to be, and before you can ever truly surrender your life, like we sang that song, before you can truly surrender your whole life to Jesus Christ, you've got to accept the fact that the Word of God that you have in your hand or on your phone or however you use it truly is the inspired Word of God. It's what God has given to humanity to find him, to learn about him, and to not only start a relationship with him by accepting Jesus as your savior, but grow in that relationship with him and reach other people. There's nothing else. 
Now, there's some good authors out there. I love, how many of you ever read Philip Yancey's book? Heard of Phil, I love Philip Yancey. Oh, my gosh. The Jesus I Never Knew truly changed my, my perspective. What's so amazing about Grace? Oh, my gosh. Amazing books. Where is God when it hurts? Great books by Philip Yancey, my favorite Christian author. But there's some other great Christian authors as well. And those are great books about living the Christian life. But you can, never, you can never substitute books about the Bible for the Bible. Because an author that writes about the Bible is someone who is expressing many times his or her opinion about what is there. It's not bad, but it's not the Word of God. So I say read those books after you read your Bible because that gives you the center. And by the way, it's okay to disagree with authors. I'm sure, Osvaldo, as you uh, preparing for sermons and reading and things like that, there have been things you've read in a book by a great author that you're like, eh, not really, right? I'm not the only one. Um, and many of you the same way. It's okay to disagree with another, with an author and their take on things, or to shade a little bit to one side or the other. It's all right, because God speaks to you where you're at. And he works in your life the way he wants to work in your life. So you don't have to be a carbon copy of other people. You don't have to be a cookie cutter Christian along with other people. You can, be, you can truly be individual in your walk with Jesus Christ. But we need to understand that the Bible is the word of God, the inspired word of God. And as Paul said to Timothy, it's profitable for everything for Christianity, for a, a believer who wants to follow Jesus Christ. It will teach you, it will rebuke you, it will correct you, it will train you, all in righteousness, all in how to walk with Jesus Christ. And if you truly take the, the principles from the Word of God and apply them to your life as a follower of Jesus, you will be not only a great follower of Christ, but you'll be a better human being too. Now, it's not just profitable for an individual. The Bible is profitable and for a church that is wanting to mimic the church in, in the New Testament and mimic uh, Jesus Christ and his teaching and training, the Bible has to be our foundation, okay? Let's just get that matter cleared up right off the bat. The Bible has to be our foundation. We can have no other foundation uh, when, when, it's time, when it comes to building a church or running a church or operating within a church other than the Bible. And by the way, the Bible says Jesus is the living word. So the word of God is, is the, word of Jesus, the words of Jesus Christ. He's, it's what he wants you to know. Okay, that's how he speaks to us. So as we, as we look at this idea of how the church is to invest in you, I want to say something up front about church investment. Not all ways that a church invests in its people are popular. They're not always popular. When you read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which if you ever went to a Christian school or went to Bible college, those in, in personal evangelism or in discipleship, those are some of the very first verses you ever learn. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Those are foundational for the doctrine of Scripture. 
So when we look at that, we see that, well, it's great training and teaching, but man, then we look at what the Bible's profitable for rebuking and correcting. What's that all about? <laughs> Wait a minute, God, that's not what I bought into this for. That's not what I'm following you for. Wait a minute, rebuking and correcting? You see, not every way that a church invests in its people is popular all the time. But it's there and important and profitable nonetheless. So I think it's really important that we dig into this idea of what the church investing in your life is all about. Let me give this disclaimer up front as well. I am not here to run your life. It's not my job, not my responsibility, not even my desire. I don't want to run your life. I don't want, you to, tell, I don't want to tell you how to run your home. Wise pastor, one of the first pastors I worked for out in Kansas, told me this. He said, John, I never give advice. And I was just a young guy. I was still in the army at the time. I'm like, what is this guy saying? He never gives advice. He says, I might tell people how I would handle it, but I never want to tell people how to deal with the situation because it will always come back on me. And I thought, after a couple years, that old guy has some wisdom. Because it's, I, I don't want to run your life. I don't want to tell you what to do. I don't want to come into your home. Like many of you may have come from churches where they have standards that are applicable at home. I remember the Christian high school I went to um, told me, told us in, in, their, in a meeting that the standards of the school applied to my home as well. And now I wasn't, you can ask my mother and father, I wasn't a rebellious teenager. I was a really good kid. In fact, I had perfect attendance my junior year of high school. I didn't know that until they called me up on the platform at the end of the year. And they called everybody up to give awards. It was a K through 12 school. See, here I am, I'm a soccer player, a basketball and baseball player in high school. And I'm up on stage with kindergartners and first graders getting an award for, for perfect attendance. I thought, this is never going to happen to me again. <laughs> and my senior year, I, I was a class president. I was a captain of the soccer team, captain of uh, different things. And after three quarters of school, I looked at my report card, and I didn't even realize I had perfect attendance. I said, nope, not going to happen. So I skipped the day of school. <laughs> So that's not going to happen to me again, especially in my senior year, right? Uh, but I, I questioned that in the, in the class. I raised my hand and I said, so you're trying to tell me, I said, and my dad was a pastor at the time. I said, so sir, what you're telling me is that my father as a pastor has to submit to you as a school administrator in his home so that I will follow the school's rules at home. And he said, yes. <laughs> and I said, no, <laughs> no. And I'll bet you if I, would, if I had the guts to go home and tell my dad about this, I bet you my dad would be in your office talking to you about it tomorrow. Um, I don't want that. That's not what it's about. But the church is here to invest in your life in a way that helps you to grow and learn how to live a godly life if that church does the things that the Bible tells us to do. <sighs> Lots of people have problems with churches, and some people leave churches uh, because of 
things that uh, leadership in the church body are doing and doing what they're supposed to do according to the word of God. When leadership or the church body is following the Lord and other people don't want to do that, some people don't like it, get upset, and they leave. In Acts 20, Paul gave his farewell address to the leaders in the church of Ephesus. He told them that he had done his best to live Jesus in front of them and preach the whole counsel of God. That's where we get that phrase, preaching the whole counsel of God. He had said, I'd preach the whole counsel of God to you. He explained to them why that was important. He said that there were both in the church and outside of the church people whose sole intent was to distort the truth. You know, we're going to avoid politics, not going to talk about it. But with the whole, I don't know if you've heard of this, um, something called the coronavirus. <laughs> Has nothing to do with drinking too much Mexican beer. Just so... See, I thought that was going to be funny, but it wasn't. I guess it's a real sensitive subject. Um, listen, you think about you, you, you put together a doomsday box if you want for your house. That's, that's wonderful. I mean, that's, that's great. You handle it however you want. I just got to be honest. For me, I'm not going to get freaked out over it. Okay? I'm just not. I, it, it's not a wildfire coming at me. I'm going to take precautions if we need to, and I urge you to do that. That's fine. But with some of the things that are being put out there from both ways, both not, not caring too much about it and not willing to take precautions, and those who say that it's the end of the world as we know it, there's... It's, there, there's just no, it's difficult to find truth, right? It's difficult to find the truth in the matter. Many times, when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the Word of God, there are those in the church and outside of the church that want to distort the truth. And they want to distort the truth for many different reasons. When it comes to the coronavirus, some people might want to sensationalize it so they can make money off of it, okay? We were living in, in Springfield, Missouri when 9-11 happened. Springfield, Missouri is 1,300 miles from New York City. Gas prices went up to over $5 a, a gallon that day. No, no, no reason except that somebody wanted to gouge people. So people have, for whatever reason people do it, they do it. That's why it's so vitally important that you allow the church to invest in you in this way so that you will know and understand how to discern truth. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. There are people out there that are going to try to distort what the truth has to say, what the Bible has to say, and how it's supposed to be interpreted. Paul never wanted to see anybody walk away from the truth. And that's why he wanted to make sure that churches and leaders taught and preached and led with truth. That charge to leadership into the church still holds true today. The purpose of a true biblical New Testament church is to win people to Christ and prepare them to face a life of challenges, trials, and temptations. That's up on the screen. 
because every church member faces those issues every day that they live and breathe. That's what we're here for. To prepare you to go out there. Many times, there are, many times I've found myself being able to get through a difficult situation because I know I've got a church to lean on. Because I know I've got somebody in the church or some people in the church that I can go to and say, hey, uh, got a question or hey, I need help. Hey, would you help me? Would you pray with me about this? That's what a church is supposed to be for. And that's how a church is supposed to invest in its people. Now, in society, church is continuing to fall out of fashion. So, so much so that many churches are changing their style or even toning down their message simply because they want to be relevant and draw a crowd. I, I heard a preacher this morning, a guy I'd never thought I'd hear say this, that sometimes you just have to go with the flow. Like, whew, man, I, I can't justify that according to Scripture when it comes to truth. When it comes to truth, I need to stand for truth whether it's popular or not. And that's just the way it is. What I want to share with you real quickly and ask this question, is that working? Is toning down the message of the gospel and is doing everything we can to be relevant to people working today? Is it drawing that crowd? Is it bringing people out? Is it challenging people? Is it deepening the faith of followers in Jesus Christ? Let me give you these statistics. I think millennials are like under 40 now, right? All millennials are under 40. And these statistics are about millennials, which is the next generation of leadership in the church. Millennials who are opting out of church cite three factors with equal weight in their decision. 35% cite the church's irrelevance, hypocrisy, and moral failures of its leaders. Irrelevance? Wait a minute. We got rock concerts on Sundays. Irrelevant, man. So, and as we go through here, you'll see why. That's irrelevant. Irrelevant. Hypocrisy. Well, you say this, but... When you walk outside into the church, I see you through the week and I don't see a change in your life. You know why? Because you're toning down the gospel. You're watering down what the word of God has to say. And you're saying it's okay to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And we're, we're going to get into that a little bit. 20% of unchurched millennials say they feel God is missing in the church. Man. That's... That's powerful. 10% of, of the unchurched sense that legitimate doubt is prohibited, starting at the front door. Man, that is so true. I'll tell you what, I've had so many conversations with 20-somethings, and even into their 30s, about that. And listen, I, I, I hear people say, science nowadays, science, science, science. Okay, well, let's talk about science. And I'm sorry if I offend you with this, but I'm just going to be honest, okay? There is certain body parts that if you're born with, you're a man. You know what? That passes the test of science, right? Biologically speaking. And there are parts that if you're born with, you're a woman. Biologically speaking. 
That's what, that, those are scientific facts. Why then are we berated for, for rejecting science when the other side says, oh, no, 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 no. Two-year-olds can be confused about their gender. I had this, had this conversation with one of, in one of our, uh, I had to actually walk out of the meeting in one of our support group meetings because the woman that was giving the, the presentation said two-year-olds can be confused about their gender. I have, a, I have a two-year-old grandson who's in diapers, who struggles, he's, he's learning how to talk right now. Um, I don't think he's struggling with being a boy or a girl. Seriously, man, seriously. And this is what we're, we're being challenged with? And Christians are buying into that? See, I will stand for truth, but I will allow you to bring your doubt. Because I believe, I believe that's, it. listen, Jesus, John, uh, John chapter 3 is one of the most famous passages of Scripture, right? John 3, 16. Powerful, powerful one-on-one -on -one that Jesus had with Nicodemus. You know what Nicodemus expressed throughout all of John chapter 3, verse, uh, all of most of John chapter 3, that entire conversation? Doubt. He expressed doubt. I'm not quite sure. Listen, I see what you're doing. I see what you're saying. And I've watched your miracles but I'm just not sure. Why does that offend us so much as believers in Christ? Why does that threaten us as a church? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade people. Persuasion, by its very definition, means that there's a give and take, there's a discussion bordering on argument. We should not be afraid of standing for the truth. Neither should we be afraid of people who bring their doubts to us. That's why as a church, as an individual, as a church, we invest in you and you invest back so that you can be strong in your faith and answer those questions. <clears throat> can I just tell you something? The average person who wants to argue with you about the Bible has no idea what they're talking about. They don't. They don't have a clue. So if you can, in a loving, compassionate, kind way, share your faith and the truth of the gospel with them, you will more than likely sway them over to start seeing your point. I'm not saying you're going to convince everybody. <laughs> but we've got to, we really need to stop worrying about whether people have doubts or not. I think everybody has doubts about certain things. Less than 20% of churchgoers feel close to God on even a monthly basis. Okay? And only 6% of unchurched who have ever been to church say that they learned something about God or Jesus the last time they attended. You know what that statistic says? 94% of those who attended church didn't learn anything about God, didn't learn anything about Jesus. I guess we're not, I, I guess trying to be relevant isn't working. Make no mistake, Jesus is relevant. Jesus is relevant to every life. 61% said that they did not gain any significant or new insights regarding faith in church. 61%. Nothing new, nothing Nothing relevant about my faith. Watering down the gospel is not the answer to combat 
to combating the real feeling of the irrelevance of the church in the lives of the people. Watering down the message and becoming, becoming uh, socially acceptable is not the answer. The answer is the Word of God. The answer is standing on the Word of God. The answer is being, a, being a, a kind, nice, gentle person who will come to people with the Word of God. But make no mistake, we stand on the Word of God. If we want to take the Word of God out and take the relevance of the Bible out of the church and out of the lives and out of the teaching that we have here, then we might as well simply be a fraternity because that's all the value that we will bring to people's lives. That sets up for some of the things we're going to be talking about here. Because remember, at the beginning of this, I said not everything the church, in, not every way that the church invests in its people is popular. It's not all easy. And if, you, if, if, if you're not sure about that, flip positions and come up here and be the cat that has to put that stuff into effect. So... Now that we've laid the table, set the table, laid the foundation, whatever, whatever you want, however you want to say that, how does your church invest in you? The first thing, the first way, after you've accepted Christ as your Savior, is this. Your teach church is you to grow spiritually mature. The church is supposed to teach you to grow spiritually mature. Supposed to not only teach it, but open up opportunities for you to grow in that <clears throat> and to develop your faith and to live your faith and become stronger in your faith. Whether we like it or admit it, we all need help with our spiritual growth. Whether we like it or admit it, all of us need help with our spiritual growth. We do. You can fight that. Listen, I've had people in the church over the years who have refused to go to Bible studies because they don't feel they need to learn. I've had people here that wouldn't go to Bible studies taught by people other than me because they feel that the, they have reached the level of spiritual maturity that only the pastor can teach them. Can I be honest with you? I, lean, I learned something about love and compassion and acceptance from my eight-year-old sons, okay? So we can learn from everybody and we can learn from each other. And when we have a Bible, if, if you can, listen, I learned from that man sitting back there, my father, and he teaches a Bible study on Sunday mornings. We can all learn, learn from each other. We can all learn from anybody if we'll just try, if we'll just give it the effort. But a church helps you to grow spiritually mature because you need it. No one has arrived. No one is above discipleship. No one is above a Bible study. We need to be involved. And we now, we've got so many opportunities now, and we're going to be looking to get more opportunities and open up more opportunities because I know, I know it's a 24-7 thing now in life, and we want to provide opportunities where you can fit in, where you can you know, kind of plug that into your life. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I know... You say, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't know where I'd fit it in, I don't know where I'd get it into my life, I don't know how I'd, how I'd make it work. Can I, just, can I just promise you something? If you will make the commitment to make a Bible study work in your life, 
and you will invest in that study and in the people in it and learning, you'll ask yourself at one point, how did I ever live without it? How did I ever, why, why did I ever think I didn't need this? Because man, this is, this is water for a thirsty soul. This is good stuff. There's nothing like sitting down on Wednesday nights with our, with our group. Man, we, it, took us, it took us over a month to get through one sheet, right? We're going through Philippians. And we talked about uh, Paul and the life Paul had chosen. My goal is to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. It took us a month to get through that verse. Because there are people in that study that wanted to dig in and pull out the marrow from the bone. Man, that's, that's what you get. That's what you get when you dig into Bible study. And as you continue to grow from it, you'll say to yourself, how in the world did I ever live without it? An investing church focuses on Jesus and his word for your spiritual growth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. John 12, 32. As for me, Jesus is speaking, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Hebrews 5:14. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. All those verses point us to what we're saying. An investing church focuses on Jesus and his word for your spiritual growth. We won't sit down in a Bible study and we won't we won't talk about uh, the relevant issues of the day. Because the Bible is relevant to everything. And if you know the Bible and you know how to apply the Bible to your life, you will be able to handle the relevant issues of the day. So we don't need to know how to vote politically. We don't need to know how to, to, how to decide which, which, uh, uh, you know, which road to take to get to the restaurant. What we need to do is understand the Word of God and how it applies to our lives so that we can be skilled in that. And as Paul said... We've laid a foundation. Now you need to be careful how you build on that foundation. You build on it with the word of God so that you'll be strong as you face life and face situations and face issues and raise your family. That's what it's about. An invested church teaches, preaches, and trains from the Bible. This may seem obvious, but it's not so in every church. And I'm talking about in every situation. Our, our men's ministry who, that has had a couple meetings don't sit around and talk about football. Talk about the Word of God. Lewis brought a challenge in the last men's meeting, which was spot on, man. And he did something real cool. He, he, played, uh, he played four songs and then commented on them and talked about how those songs apply to life and we deal with situations. And he had a verse for every song, and it was powerful. And after that, we went out of the room and, hey, how you doing? How's your life? And if, you, if you've never talked to Lewis, um, Lewis is not a guy that takes no for an answer. Lewis is gonna get, he's gonna get into your life a little bit. The team we have with Mike and, and Jeremy and Lewis uh, leading that men's ministry is, every one of them brings something different and it's solid, and it's good stuff for this men's ministry. And I'll tell you what, I was blessed and challenged in that last meeting. 
from the word of God. It's not about tradition. It's not about church history. It's about the Bible. It's not about tradition. It's not about church history. It's about the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, uh, yeah, I, I, let me look Hebrews 4.12 up because I copied the wrong verse on here. Hebrews 4.12 is the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, I believe. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what that says? If you will honestly come to the word of God and pray and ask God's wisdom and direction and understanding and the Holy Spirit to open up your mind and your heart to what he has to say, then the word of God will penetrate your spirit and your soul and will get in and will teach you some things. I had a breakthrough in my life this week, something I've been uh, struggling with and praying with God about is seeking his leadership and direction and understanding about why I was, why I was where I was. And Friday, I think it was Friday night, maybe it was last night, I forget. Boom. Man, I had pursued enough, I had persevered long enough, and I had prayed enough, and, and God had prepared me to receive his message. And it was, this is your problem, John. And I felt like a little kid being disciplined by my dad. I was like, okay. And I prayed. I had a great prayer walk with my dogs on the golf course. And I got up this morning and I had another one. And I had such joy in my heart this morning getting ready for church. Because the word of God had dug into my spirit and shown me what needed to change. That's what the Bible will do for you, what it can do for you. But you have to apply it and you have to get into it for that to happen. An investing church understands that growth in the church comes from having spiritually healthy members. It's not just about numbers. Not just about having backsides in the seats. It's about having people that come to church and invest in church and get involved in church being spiritually healthy. Spiritually healthy people can weather the storm. Spiritually healthy people will sit down and have a conversation when they have a disagreement. Spiritually healthy people will work things out. Spiritual, spiritually healthy people will work together, and it won't matter who the leader is. They'll get on board because they know the kingdom of God is what matters. So that's why a true investing church understands that the goal is to have spiritually healthy people. It emphasizes biblical truth over all else. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted, knit together uh, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It emphasizes biblical truth over all else. What matters is the truth of the word of God, not your personal interpretation, not what, you, what parts you like. The Bible is not a buffet, right? The Bible is mom's dinner table. This is what we have. If you don't like it, you go hungry, right? How many of you were raised that way? Even if it was spam, 
right? Spam. My dad loved spam. Anybody like spam? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Better than liver. Yeah. <laughs> Better than liver. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Spam. Spam and eggs. There are restaurants that have spam on the menu. I don't order it. But some, I mean, people love spam, right? Spam sandwich. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. When, when, that was, when, when you were raised in a home that whatever was put on the table is what you have to eat, you either ate or you went hungry. The Bible is not a buffet. The Bible is the spiritual meat that it is. It is what it says it is. We like, to say, we, we like to make the claim, which is so popular, I am who you say I am, God. Well, you know what? The Bible is who, we, who it says it is. The Bible is what it says it is. You can't skirt around it to make yourself happy. You have to accept the good and the bad. You have to accept the easy and the tough. We do this by offering Bible studies and individual discipleship to anyone who is interested and then it also stresses the need for personal family and corporate prayer. One of the things that I'm really praying about now is, is uh, starting, a, starting off slow, so we'll ease into it. The Bible says, God says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Well, we need to make that true at New Life. And I want to start once a month having one, a, a night of prayer throughout the evening. And you show up when you can, and you pray. You pray with people if, you're, if there's nobody here. You pray by yourself. Not a, not a prayer. I remember when prayer meeting used to be prayer meetings. Nowadays, prayer meeting evolved into another Bible study. That's not what we need. We need a time of getting together in the word, in, in our church, of prayer. And not just corporate prayer, but personal prayer, family prayer. I want my family, I want my kids to be, uh, to, to, to understand what prayer is all about. I want them to see mom and dad pray together. We, we can't wait. Uh, we've, we've gone over to our, our, uh, our new home and we've prayed together. We prayed at the front door. We prayed in the backyard. We prayed inside the house. Aaron and I went over almost daily praying for that house and praying that, that it would be what it needs to be for us and what it needs to be for ministry. And then once I signed my name on the dotted line, We've got anointing oil that we're going to be anointing that house with. The Old Testament, door, doorpost and lintel. And praying God's blessing on that home. Prayer is so vital, and, and it's so vital for a church to participate in together. Let me get one more point in. And then we'll suspend this until next week. An investing church stresses the individuality and responsibility of each believer. An investing church stresses the individuality and responsibility of each believer. What I mean by that is this. I can be, I'm just saying this for, for practical purposes, I can be the godliest closest to God man you've ever, you've ever met in your life, but it won't do anything for you. You've got to do it for yourself. You've got to do it for yourself. You can, have, you, you can have grown up in a godly home, a home with parents who loved the Lord and invested 
in, in their own walk and in their marriage and in their church and, and in you, but it doesn't do you any good unless you take ownership of your walk with the Lord. Tradition doesn't matter. Church membership doesn't matter. Family history doesn't matter. It's all about your walk, personal walk with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter, who was pretty much a straight shooter, said this, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You yourselves are being built up as a royal priesthood, as a one who can make those spiritual sacrifices of life. You, yourself, are responsible for your own walk with Jesus Christ. Yes, the church has its responsibilities. The church needs to do what the church needs to do, and the church needs to invest, but it doesn't do me any good if I, it doesn't do this church any good if we invest in you, but you don't receive the investment. If I take my money to the bank and hand it to them, and they never put it in my account, it didn't do me any good. And it doesn't do the bank any good either. You've got to receive the investment and take responsibility for your own walk with the Lord. It's not transferable. You don't gain it by osmosis. You have to take ownership of your walk with the Lord. A true investing church understands that. We're not looking for spectators. We're looking for active participants. That's what a true investing church does. We will pick this up next week. I'm even going to mark my notes to make sure I'm at the right spot. We'll pick it up next week and finish this. I hope you've, you've kind of grasped where we're going to be going over the next couple weeks with this message about what an investing church is. So important not just for you, important for us as a congregation because we're all responsible. I know I'm the pastor, but we're all responsible for the direction. We're all responsible for what goes on in this church. We're all responsible to keep ourselves accountable, and as we see, we'll be responsible to help others stay accountable as well. That's the, that's the role of a true investing church. It's not always easy, and it's a lot of work and it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to become, as we said, the life church investment. Life is a church. It's supposed to take and take hold in your life. So I challenge you to come back. If you're watching us on Facebook because you're sick, be here next week. If you're watching us because you can't get here, tune in again next week to hear more of this. I'm excited about what God has to show us. I'm excited about what God has to show me and you. I know what this message has done for me, preparing it, and I'm excited to see what it does for you. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning in your house. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, everyone who was able to, to make it out. God, we pray for those who are ill. I know we've got a lot of people sick, and I pray that you will uh, give them health, bring them back to good health. Father, um, Boy, it's a fine line to walk today, Lord, because um, I know there is a, a place for being relevant. But when we sacrifice effective Bible 
teaching and Bible methods to be relevant, then we're missing something. So God, I pray that as we go through this message, what we've talked about today, and as we go through the rest of this message, I pray that all of our hearts will be open to hearing what you have to say to us. That we'll be open to listening to your word and applying it to our lives so that we'll not only just be better individual followers of you, but also be better contributors to the church so that this church might be stronger and more effective for you. Lord, watch us as we go from this place. Keep us safe. Keep us healthy. Lord, don't need to be making light about what's going on in, in, uh, in society today with, with health. And I know we have several people in our church that are, uh, that are at risk if, if they were to get something uh, like this new virus. And I pray that you'll just keep your children safe and protected, Father. May we pray for each other. Draw us together as we meet this week for Bible studies, as we meet for coffee and just to talk as we reach out to each other. God, would you draw us and knit us together as a, as a unit, as a church, and bless us. Dismiss us this morning. May we go forward as worshipers. In your name we pray. Amen.